Well, good morning, everybody. We're so glad to see you today. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors around here today. Man, you guys look awesome, by the way. You look really cool. And I know it's a three-day weekend, so there's a lot of people out traveling, but you're the best of the best because you stayed for church. That's all I'm saying, just throwing that out there. Everybody else is partying, but you guys are here. But yeah, anyways, we're so glad you're here. Uh, hey, before we um, dive off into the sermon series, let me tell you about one thing real quick. In the month of November, we're going to start another sermon series um, that we're calling At the Movies. And we're going to take some kind of modern movies, and it seems kind of weird until we explain it to you how it's going to roll out. But we're going to take some of the ideas and the thoughts and, and see how they apply to um, our lives. Matter of fact, we're going to take um, those ideas, which a lot of these movies have ideas that are literally centrally located in the Bible. And, uh, and, and, and the reason we do this is because there's a lot of people out in this world who don't like church, but they're like, what? They're going to have a movie at the church? I'm going to show up to church. And we exist as a church to reach lost people. That's why we exist, and we want to do everything we can. So, um, man, during the month of November, we're going to encourage you to bring folks. Bring, bring, bring. We, we always want you to bring folks, but in particular because this is going to be, um, I think, very helpful for them and uh, interesting and different than, you know, some dude like me up here yelling at him for 30 minutes, right? It's going to be on the screen. It's going to be very cool. So it'll be a lot of fun, so check that out. Hey, before we dive off into this message, I just want to pray real quick. Would you pray with me, Lord? God, we're starting a brand new series today, and we just pray that you would be with us by your spirit, that the word of God would just go forth with clarity, with power, Lord, not with just words of wisdom, but Lord, with anointing and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, as Paul the apostle said. And God, we just pray that as we unpack these scriptures, that they would be just made new in our hearts and our lives. And God, we pray for those cowboys, that they would just kill those cheeseheads today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Maybe just crush them, not kill them, just crush them. All right, amen. I'm a Cowboys fan, unapologetically, even though they lost miserably last week. Uh, so this morning, we're starting a brand new teaching series on the book of Galatians. I hope you have your Bibles. If not, you have one on your phone or your tablet or your device, unless yours is a flip phone, and then we can't help you. But uh, just, just get that out, man. Uh, get that Bible out. I, I want you, if you have a real Bible in your hand, to underline, get your pen out. You got life point notes there. Take notes. This isn't a three points. This is, we're going to go verse by verse through um, some passages over the next four weeks. And uh, I think, I think, I believe they're going to be really helpful and powerful to, uh, for you. We're going to dive right in. We have a lot of ground to cover. I'm not sure I'll finish it all. We'll just get going and see what happens. Before we get to the text of Galatians chapter 1, uh, we need to talk about this book or this letter and its writer a bit. <clears throat> this letter to the churches around Galatia, Galatia was penned by a man named uh, Paul. Before Paul was Paul... He was known as Saul. He was a very deeply religious Jewish man, a member of a very strict sect called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were committed to the Jewish traditions and the laws of the Old Testament. So those of you who aren't familiar with the Bible, there's an old kind of a testament, which is a sort of historical part of the Jewish, the nation of, uh, of Israel and its formation and all of those things. And then there's the New Testament, which um, applies totally differently than the Old Testament did. And the Old Testament is there to help reveal what the New Testament is, and that's ultimately Jesus. Amen, somebody? Right? So the, the Pharisees were committed to the Jewish traditions and the laws of the Old Testament, including laws that were actually man-made and not, 
not, not God created. Like God didn't make them, men made them. So he's very committed to his traditions and all of a sudden one day, Saul's life is transformed when Jesus confronts him on this road to Damascus. Now he's going down to Damascus to create havoc amongst the Christians. He hates Christians. He wants to kill them. He's killed some of them already. He was sitting there when a man named Stephen was stoned to death. He was holding everybody's coats like, hey, hold them up so y'all have free hands to do this. And so he hates Christians. And so Jesus shows up uh, on the road to Damascus, blinds him like he can't see for like three or four days and converts him. Saul becomes Paul, and he all of a sudden goes from hating Jesus to loving Jesus, from seeing Jesus as a false God to seeing Jesus as the only God, right? And from hating Christians to becoming their pastor. How many of you like to have a pastor that used to kill people like you? Amen, somebody, right? Right on. Amazing. Amazing transformation. So he goes out after this transformation. He's a very smart man. He knows the scriptures like nobody's business. He goes out and begins to preach the gospel, the gospel that was revealed by Jesus. And, and churches start getting planted all around the area. And, and in one particular region called Galatia, that is in present-day Turkey, modern-day Turkey. <clears throat> he loves these churches that he establishes wherever he goes, but his mission is to keep spreading the gospel primarily to non-Jewish people, which the Bible would call Gentiles, right? So he leaves there to go start other churches and other unchurched uh, areas, places that have never heard the gospel. And so sometime after he leaves, a group of, of Jewish Christian converts, and I'm going to put that in quotes right there, which were called Judaizers, comes from the city of Jerusalem, which is where all of this started. They come into this region of Galatia, to these churches in this area, uh, claiming to speak for the original um, apostles in Jerusalem. Now, so you know, there were 12 followers of Jesus. Judas was one of them. He uh, betrays Jesus. He ultimately takes his life. They replace him. There's 12. But, but when Jesus calls Paul, he makes him an apostle, Right? Uh, an apostle with a capital A, which just means he's going to have a kind of a ministry that most of us will never understand or have any idea. It's powerful, crazy. Well, these guys show up and say, t start to say that we're, we're part of the original group. This guy's not. And we read about what happens with him in Acts chapter 15. Over time, they begin to spread rumors that Paul is not a real apostle and that he had not preached a full or complete gospel. In particular, they told all of these young Galatians, which Paul had shared the gospel with, that they were obliged to keep not only the, what, what Paul had taught them, but to keep the Jewish cultural customs of the Mosaic law, which is the law that God gave Moses. You remember, if, if you're a Bible person, God, Moses goes up on a mountain, he gets the Ten Commandments, and after that he gets a bunch more commandments. But there was ten sort of central ideas. Um, so there's dietary laws, like you can't eat catfish, you can't eat lobster. Like if you've read the, the numbers and all that, it's like, what? Dude, thank God there's a New Testament for, because lobster, can I get an amen on that? <laughs> snow crab legs, king crab legs. You can't have those back in the Old Testament. But in heaven, you can have those. I'm just telling you that. That's going to be there, uh, I believe, it with butter and a little bit of lemon. Whew, I'm hungry. All right. So not only dietary laws, but they have to become circumcised. I'm not going to explain that to the children in the room. Ask your mom on the way home. She'll be happy to tell you about that. You're welcome. This was a distinctly Jewish thing, circumcision. So, like, imagine one day if I come up here and say, hey, all of the grown men who've never had that happen to you, Dr. Bill will be out back with a sharp scalpel um, to do that after church, and if you don't show up, you're going to hell. You know what I'm saying? 
Like this is, this is what happened. Hey guys, I, I know you heard Paul's gospel, but in addition to that, you better do this or you're not saved. So um, Galatians is in large part about two things. Number one, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, the freedom that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's at stake in the book of Galatians. These are the central issues that Paul is defending and kind of hammering on, as we'll see. Freedom, right? And, and the book of Galatians answers the question, how can I be truly free? How can I, because I keep trying, I keep trying to, by effort to get free, but I can't. How do I become truly free? Now, when, when the religious culture, a lot of religious culture, and really our world, looks at the question, how can I be free? It offers two answers that are contradictory, right? So the first one is try harder, obey all the rules, do good, go to church, and, and you know, get baptized, give money, follow the Ten Commandments, obey the golden rule. Like All of these are good things, right? Do what your priest tells you to do or do what your, your, your preacher tells you to do. You know, offer a sacrifice, light a candle, say some Hail Marys, meditate, read the Bible, pray, right? That's how you have freedom. That's what one answer. But the list becomes endless because the human mind is endlessly creative in ways to devise, to, uh, to, it devises to please a God that it can neither see um, nor understand. But rule keeping, which is at the heart of this answer for how you get free, is all, it always fails in the end because you can never be sure you've done enough. Yes or no, right? If one prayer is enough, would two be better? If 10 minutes is good of prayer, would 30 minutes be better? How many candles should I light, right? Is five or should I light a thousand? You can never be absolutely certain how much it takes. The other contradictory idea is to experience real freedom. You just live however you want to. You throw all rules, all ideas from the scripture. You just throw them out and you, you give your life to Jesus and then you go from there and just live however you want to, right? We'll look at both of these in a bit. So Galatians chapter one, verse one, here we go. Ready? Paul, I'm gonna get fired up just so you know. I'm gonna get fired up. You ready for that? Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by a man. I'm already wanting to preach right now, but I'm gonna read the rest of the scripture. But by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches. Now, just for reference, most of these letters were written to the church at Ephesus, to the church in Thessalonica. Well, this is to the churches, meaning it's a circular letter. Hey, we're going to give it to you. You guys read it, discuss it, then pass it on to the next church. That's how it was a circular letter, right? So, uh, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Paul is just kind of right out of the gate going, hey, listen. These aren't my musings about Jesus. I haven't been called by men. No man taught me this. Uh, I was called by God through Jesus Christ. So everything I'm about to tell you carries a lot of weight, right? I come to you, he says, as an apostle, which means a messenger. Um, the word apostle would be like, in our, our, our climate, like a, a ambassador or maybe even closer to home, like an attorney. I come with the power of an eternity, attorney representing Jesus with the power and his authority to speak on his behalf. That's what he's saying. Verse four, here we go, moving. You're gonna think that all these verses are gonna go that fast? No, they're not. Now they're gonna slow down. Here we go. Who gave himself, okay, can you say this with me? Who gave himself... Why? For our sins, for what? To rescue us, all right? From the present evil age 
according to or because of the will of our God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Randy Travis, anybody? I'm going to love you forever. Is that Randy Travis? Forever and... Or is it George Strait? I can't even remember. Anyways. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. So, so with this verse, verse 4, right out of the gate, he's making sure everybody knows the score. Like, everybody knows this is who you are. This is what's been done for you, right? If we're going to understand the gospel clearly, which is what the book of Galatians is about, here are some things you need to know, and it's going to hurt your feelings. You're a sinner, and so am I. Didn't get an amen, but that's good. Paul wants us to start out Galatians by knowing we are helpless and we are lost. And that is what the word rescue implies. If you weren't helpless, if you weren't lost, you wouldn't need a rescue. Yes or no, right? That's who we are. We're lost. We're sinners, right? And this is fundamental uh, to our understanding of what God has done for us in Jesus. You and I fall short of what God has asked us to be, and I don't think anybody would doubt that at all, right? You and I, just to get clarity to that, have most definitely pursued other things as God besides God himself, right? We put things above God in our lives. You have most definitely, so have I, lied at some point in your life. You probably started out by two lying. Come on, amen, somebody, your children. Uh, you, you, you have been indifferent. You have most definitely harbored in your heart anger and utter unforgiveness and bitterness and jealousy, and so have I, yes or no, right? Yes or no. We've fallen short of God's. So Paul wants us to, to remind us right out of the gate, here's the reality. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner, Right? And you needed rescue. Are you with me so far? Like, like man, why did we come to church today, man? I thought this is going to be fun. It is going to be fun. Hang with me, right? Here, here's the good news part of that. Ultimately, he says that Christ gave himself for our sins. Right? That's the good news. I'm a sinner, but somebody's come to my rescue to forgive me of my sins. And not just one sin, but all of them. So that no matter how dark they are, no matter how light they seem to be, he gave himself for our sins. He came to our rescue. And that's why we call Jesus our Savior. He saved us. Right? Imagine, right? Imagine you walk down to the river walk one night late and you see a drunk guy flailing around in the river. Just imagine with me. You don't have to imagine very hard. Just go down there like a Saturday night around one or whatever. And he's flailing around and he's probably gonna drown. And what, what if you said, hey, loser, why did you get drunk? Sinner, you shouldn't do that. Not helpful. Yes or no, right? Not helpful, right? Or, or what if you threw him a manual about how to rescue a drunk guy from the river walk, right? Not, not helpful, right? What if you threw him some teachings? No, you don't throw him some teachings or a book or, or critique. You throw him a rope. Or better yet, you jump in the river and you drag him to shore and save his life, right? This is what Jesus has done for us. And sometimes people in religion want to say, we save you by throwing a million rules at you. And Jesus would say, no, 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 no. I'm coming to your rescue. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how jacked up your life is. I'm coming to rescue you. You don't even have to ask me to. I'm going to come rescue you. That's what he's done. This is what Jesus has done for us, except in in the rescuing us from death, he died in our place. 
This is what he done, has done. He's done something for us that we could never do for ourselves. There is no self-improvement plan, no 12-step plan that will take care of the penalty of yours and my sin. So what that means is we're going to need somebody to come along and rescue us from all of that. So Jesus is going to come, right? And he's going to do two things. Number one, he's going to perfectly live out the law because somebody has to. That law with its 600 plus laws in the Old Testament rules, somebody has got to live all that out. Somebody's got to take care of that. So Jesus perfectly lives that out. He's the only one who ever did. No one else ever even came close. And he will take that accomplishment and he will, the word is called impute. If you're taking notes, impute. Kind of funny to say, isn't it? Now that I'm saying it out loud, it sounds weird. Anyways, impute that or, or account uh, what he did to our account. So I want you to think about the word impute real quick, all right? There's three imputations. Number one, it, it, just, just a little theology here, a little story. When Adam, the first man, sinned, the Bible says that his sins were imputed to the rest of mankind. So all the way down to where you and I are at, all these millennia later, we're still paying for what Adam did because his sins were laid on us. But then... Jesus comes along, and because he lived a perfect life, his righteousness gets imputed to us. It gets, so we're sinners because of what Adam did. When we're born, we're born sinners because of what Adam did. Jesus comes along and says, here, because of what I did, you get to have my righteousness. And thirdly, the most incredible imputation is that he takes all of our nonsense, all of our sins, and puts it on himself. Three things that get imputed. So when Christ, when God looks it upon you and me, he looks at us in, in Christ. So I want to just draw this out real quick here. All right, just so you get this, and I'm going to have to move around a little bit. And I wish I had a bigger board. And I wish we had a camera so you could see. But this is, this is an account, right? A ledger book, right? And over here is Jesus. And over here is me, right? Now, when I think about my life, I lived a pretty good life, right? But have I sinned in my life? Have you sinned? So yeah. These are little, these little S's are for some sins that I've done. You know, they're little, not too big. You know what I'm saying? That one time, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, that one. So, sorry, you guys, if you can't see over there. Um, yeah, but, but I did, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I did a lot of sins, right? Some of them were bad. I write terrible. That's not even, that's, I don't even know what that is. That's supposed to be a sin. But I also did some good things. Uh, like I did some righteous things. So we're talking about righteousness for a minute. So give me some R's here. Give me some R's. Give me some R's. And, and there's some more. Oh, there's those two S's. There's some more. Oh, yeah, there's that, the fifth grade where I did that thing. Yeah. So that's my account. But over here, Jesus, he just has one. Righteous. Perfect. Never sinned. Obeyed the law 100%. So... What am I supposed to do about this? Because you know what Isaiah 64 says, verse 6? It says that all of my righteousness, all these little good things that I did along the way, Isaiah says they are as filthy rags. What? All of my best efforts at my righteousness, I started a church, that's pretty good, filthy rags. That's what he says. But then 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that, let me read it to you here, for for our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
So what happens in this imputation thing that I just told you about is that Jesus comes along, lives a perfect sinless life, dies on the cross for our sins, takes the wrath of God upon himself, takes his righteousness, erases all of our sins and even our efforts at righteousness, which are dirty, filthy rags, dumps them into our account so that when God looks at you, a believer, all he sees is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, he took all of the S's and all the junk of my life and he puts it on Jesus. And Jesus absorbs the wrath of God on the cross of Calvary. All the stuff that should have been mine gets put on him. All the goodness that he does gets put on me. They call this the great exchange. Righteousness. That's what we're talking about here. And, and he who knew no sin, so that when, Jesus, when God looks at us, he sees in my life the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So let me get back on track here because I'm all off. So, but, but by the way, I can't, do any more, I can't do any other thing to add to the righteousness that's in my account. All of my efforts at self-improvement do not raise. It's in Jesus Christ alone. Amen, somebody? Now, what about all those screw-ups and mess-ups in your life? Well, that takes us to the second thing that Jesus does, right? Not only does he live a perfect, sinless life, not only, but, but he, on the cross, he absorbed God's wrath towards you and me completely so that, again, when God looks at us, he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is why the Bible will, will use words like blameless and pure to describe us from God's perspective. And you would say, I'm not blameless or pure, but in God's eyes, you are because of what Jesus did. Did for you. Amen. Yet you and I, the longer that we're Christians, will tend to think, well, I, I'm going to try to help him rescue, right? I can be a good per person. I can do a bunch of righteous things to make myself good. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, sin has us in its grip and no amount of religious activity or self-reformation can save us from ourselves. We are doomed unless Christ's, Christ rescues us from our sins. Amen. But we want to try to do this anyway. You and I are in such a hopeless position that we need a rescue that can have nothing to do with us. Verse 4 again. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Now, evil age. I need to say a couple of words about that. When you think of evil, you probably think of the worst things that humanity does. Like what happened in Las Vegas last week. Un conscionable. You think of evil, that's what you think. You think about wars and murder and rape and crime. Or if you grew up in the church like I did, you're thinking demons and the devil and all, that is, and all of that is true, right? That's the present evil age. But the error for us is to think of the worst that mankind does and think it has nothing to do with us because I wouldn't do any of those things. But trust me, our enemy is slicker than that. The present evil age doesn't mean um, that, that, that kind of darkness isn't out there. Clearly it is. But it means that it disguises itself to us in a way that lulls us to sleep that there's actually a battle going on at all, right? Most of us have been lulled to sleep about this conflict that the Bible talks about between good and evil. And we've done this by loving creation more than we love our creator. 
When you love creation more than you love the creator, you, you, you have given yourself birth to a, uh, to a thousand addictions and, and a kind of poison and toxic thing that will attach itself to your relationships and erode the joy meant to be had in this evil and fallen world. When you love creation rather than the creator, you're trying to get from creation what creation cannot give you. And when you bump up against that long enough, you begin to sort of self-medicate. And people medicate with drugs and alcohol. And some of us are going to medicate with sexual deviance. And some of us are going to medicate with lust. And most of us are going to medicate with trinkets and toys and trying to accomplish things. We're not even going to realize we're in a battle and we're losing. We're going to think that life is all about us and that everything we have is for us. And, and we don't take God at his word or, or, or his word very seriously at all. That his word has no real impact on our life. That's how the evil age plays out in your life and mine. So verse four, according to the will of God, our father to whom be glory forever and ever. So why, why does Jesus give himself to, for your sins to deliver you and me to rescue us? Only because of the will of the father. It's not because we're awesome, even though you are but it's not because you're awesome. It's because God is able to save, so he saves, so he might be glorified, which frees me and you up from having to be awesome and glorious, right? Because he is. So you never doubt that God is, I don't care how bad your story is, you never doubt that God has sent uh, uh, Jesus to come and save and rescue you. It's his will. That's what he's saying. Now, Paul turns a very sharp corner and goes on the attack against these false teachings. Verse six, ready? He says, I'm astonished. And by the way, his whole tone from start to finish is aggravated, this first chapter. He's just ticked off, right? He usually has all these niceties and blessings and prayers. He just, he just goes right on the attack. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. So he's just told us what Jesus has done for us and why. And he's like, and I can't believe that in light of that, you are turning away from this gospel, deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. But look, look what happens here in this verse. You see what happens? Here's what he just said. He says, in the gospel, you are attached to Jesus, or as Ephesians says it, you are in Christ. 33 times, I think it says, in Christ. And so Paul says, I'm astonished that you have so quickly desert, deserted him. Not, not it, not the gospel, you de you've deserted him, the guy who did that for you. It it's important that you get this. It's not that you deserted a message. You deserted a person. You deserted Jesus. I'm astonished. I'm baffled. I'm bewildered that you would desert him and move on to some other kind of gospel. Now, th this matters because Paul will go on to say that any change to, a, to the gospel makes it, what, no gospel at all. You and I were called by Jesus, he says. You, you, didn't, you didn't call Jesus, he called you. You didn't accept Jesus, he accepted you. That's how it works. And God accepted us despite our unworthiness. Despite our sins, despite the junk, despite all the, the stuff in, in our account. But that's the order of the gospel. Check this out. This is the order of the gospel. God accepts us and we follow him. Other religious systems, even Christian denominations that are wired kind of this way, would say, have, have it in the reverse. Follow God, obey all the rules, then he accepts you. No, 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 no. This is not the gospel at all. 
So, so then if, if you say, I need the grace of Christ plus something else, you reverse the order of the gospel, making it null and void. And this is why Paul is so bitter and upset and frantic. And this is an emergency letter that he scratches out. Because of this, you're making null the gospel of grace that Jesus has come. You're, making, you're turning this into a laughing stock by what you're doing, is what he said. And then he says in verse 7, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Another gospel is not another gospel. It's no gospel at all. So let's unpack that for a bit. When we say the gospel of Jesus... What we mean is the story of Jesus is found in the Bible, right? That we were created in God's image. You can read that in Genesis, the first book. In his likeness and for his glory. Like our, our lives were the invention of God for his glory, right? But mankind, Adam and Eve, sinned and they fell short of God's glory. That's what the Bible says. So the Bible also says that the wages of their sin was death and that God had told them from the beginning listen you can do pretty much anything you want to except this one thing don't do this one thing and if you do if you disobey that one rule death comes into the human equation but God and anytime you hear that word that's a good phrase right there but God in his mercy and by his grace has compassion on us he comes to us as the Lord Jesus Christ as we described he lives without sin he dies upon the, on a cross all of his sins are placed on him and he's punished in our place he's laid in a tomb a borrowed tomb just as the scriptures said they would for three days he rose from, from death demonstrating beyond any shadow of doubt that he is God, the one true God, and that he has conquered our enemies of Satan, of death, and sin once and for all. He gives us, after all of that, the gift of salvation, forgiveness of all of our sins, like whatever we've done, we can get immediate forgiveness, cleansing us that comes solely by grace. Nothing we can do can merit it or earn it. It's just what he gives us out of his kindness, out of his love and mercy. That's the story of the Bible about Jesus. That is the gospel. But the issue is that while the gospel is the power, the Bible says the power of God to save and change lives, over time as religion begins to take hold of people's hearts, this happens, man, all the time. We have a tendency to drift away from the true gospel and pervert the gospel in, in many ways, but in primarily two ways. So error number one is the error that Paul is confronting, which is legalism or works-based salvation, right? So the Judaizers, these teachers, these false teachers come behind Paul after he's left to go start other churches, and they say, hey, Jesus plus religion, so Jesus plus Moses or works equals salvation. That's their formula where G Paul would say, no, it's just Jesus, right? They didn't deny that Jesus was the son of God. They didn't deny his death. They didn't deny his resurrection. Uh, and they didn't preach against believing in him for, for, to, 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 to be saved. But they in essence said, what Christ started, you have to finish. You must finish the unfinished work of Christ, even though on the cross, he bowed his head and he said, what? It is finished. 
Amen, somebody. It's finished. In Paul's mind, this was nothing less than an attack on that, that whole idea right there of the gospel itself. If, if the Judaizers prevailed, all of his work is in vain, that they go back and they're, they're, they, they followed something totally false. They're not saved. Are, are we saved by believing or by achieving is the premise. And Paul said, by believing, the Judaizers say, by achieving, right? So error A, and this is the one that Paul is fighting against in Galatians, is that the gospel is heard, and it seems just too good to be true, so let's help a brother out with it. Come on, somebody, right? I'll add these things, like I'll pray a lot, I'll read the Bible a lot, I'll give a lot of money, blah, blah, you know, whatever, good stuff, great stuff, helpful stuff, Christian stuff, but I'll add them to the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. And by doing that, I'll help God save me. Because I, I know he saved me in the beginning, but I got to help him out now along the way. The gospel was good for me in the beginning, but now the gospel is, is for lost people and I'm no longer lost. No, no, no. The gospel is for every part of our lives all the way till the bitter end. And if it weren't for the gospel all, from A to Z, we're lost, Period. Right? We need the gospel all the way through. So, so I'll add these things, but it, it's exhausting. Trust me, I lived that way for 30-something years of my life. It's exhausting, and it doesn't work. We think, I'll help Jesus out by religious activity. But, but here's how that flushes out. I'm going to work my way to heaven by being a good person and do a bunch of religious things to keep me saved. I'll keep my own I'll create my own righteousness. But here's what Paul says in another place. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited, that was it, to him as righteousness. What's righteousness? It's, taking notes here, it's right standing with God. So if I say about my wife, Rachel's a righteous person, what do I mean by that? We'd say she did right things, she does righteous deeds, she's moral, she's a good wife, she's a good example, she lives righteously, she's not perfect, right? Um, but she doesn't lie, she doesn't cheat, she doesn't steal. If I said she was righteous and, you're right, and your assumption is that she lives righteously, here's, th that's a good assumption. But here's the question. Is she righteous because she lives righteously or does she live righteously because she's righteous? Track with me because somebody moved and now you're not paying attention, right? Is she righteous because she lives righteously or does she live righteously because she's righteous? It's the second one. Because she already is righteous through, righteous through no effort of her own, she now does righteous things. Not in order to become righteous because she already is because of that. Amen. Because of what Jesus did. But now she goes, I'm righteous, I'm saved. I'm not doing things to be saved-er or more saved. I'm doing these things as a way to get closer to God, as a way to know him better, as a way to share my story. But I'm not doing it to become more, more saved, it's impossible, or more righteous. I'm not in right standing with God because I do righteous things, because I can't do enough righteous things to make me right with God. That's called self-righteousness. I'm in right standing with God because he did righteous things and I've put my faith and my trust in him. And because of my right standing with God, I have this increased desire to do righteous things, not to save me. I am saved, so I do these things. The perversion of this error is to quit trusting in my relationship with Jesus, to quit trusting in the gospel and to start trusting in my own religious activity. Does that make sense? Error two, and this is the one that you and I deal with in our world, in this church, is hedonism or hedonism, which means, ah, eh, don't, 
Don't worry about what Jesus said. Don't worry about what the Bible says. Live how you want to. Jesus saved you. You're good. Freedom comes by throwing all the rules aside. Do what you want. Have a blast. You only go around this planet one time. There are no rules. It feels good. Do it. To, to hear the good news of God reconciling you to himself in Christ and go, hey, man, that's the greatest message ever. And it is. I'll do whatever I want. And he has to forgive me. That's what it says. So here's how that kind of looks here in San Antonio. Go to church maybe once a week, twice a month. Maybe we're in a group, maybe we're not. But the extent of our love for Christ and our understanding of the gospel is completely compartmentalized to one hour a week. The only effect the gospel has on us is in this moment, in this room. That our lives have been so compartmentalized that the glory of Jesus Christ and the weight of the gospel has made no other difference in any other aspect of our lives. The gospel becomes a kind of fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. There's a thing called Christian atheists, right? Which is a a phrase Craig Groeschel created, which has said, I believe in Jesus, but I don't do anything he says. Or Christian hedonists, I believe in Jesus to save me, but now I want to do what I want to do the rest of my life. And maybe you'd argue what I was baptized at one time. I go to church like twice a month, but you have no conviction over guilt or sin. No remorse for the sins that we do. I'll live however I want because I prayed that one time. I got baptized back in the day and Jesus is my savior and he's gonna save me no matter what. That's a perversion of the gospel. That's not the gospel. Paul Paul would say that's not any kind of gospel at all, that I can do whatever I want because he's forgiven. I can just live however I want and ignore all the teachings of scripture. Absolutely not. Try, Try tying that into your parenting, those of you who are parents. Hey kids, I love you so much, so just do whatever you want. No repercussions, no shaping, no discipline, no desire to mature, no desire to get better. You just do whatever you want and we're good. How evil of a parent would you be? Right? Some of you are like, I know that lady, right? It's a perversion of the gospel. And this is the most common error in our day. And I'm afraid that there will be a bunch of people who don't make heaven their home because they believe this lie. I hate to say that, but I have a feeling that's gonna happen. You and I, by nature, from the second we're born, have set up shop on the throne of our hearts. We're a God, and what we want rules, and what we want reigns, and we become that in that position a slave to our own longings and our own desires. And despite the fact that those longings only bring shame and guilt and remorse and loss into our lives, we continue to sit on the throne of, of our own hearts. And one day we give our lives to Jesus, and everything changes. And then one day we go back and say, Nah, it's not really. He's not really changing me more. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to go back and live like I used to. Only now I'm going to call myself a Christian. Hashtag blessed. For a ton of us, the gospel has no bearing on our everyday lives, and this is it. This is our religious experience Sundays, and the second we leave here, we're back to the next compartment of our lives, whether that's home, where the the gospel has no weight in our homes, or whether that's work, where the gospel has brought no weight into our workplace, or whatever domain you head to next. You compartmentalize your life so that Jesus is a thing, but doesn't sit over everything. And with Jesus, read the scriptures, it's all or nothing. And that's the part of the evil age that we talked about earlier, that people think, uh, and they're blinded to the fact that they're still living in sin and calling themselves Christian, hashtag blessed. Hashtag not blessed. Hashtag not heading in the right direction. That's a hard hashtag. We'll come up with a cleaner one next time. I'm like over my time. 
But let me tell you, he says, it, but even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Listen, he says, if I come back later on and I've tweaked this message, if somebody comes from Jerusalem, if some other guy comes along claiming to be an apostle and teach something other than this, let that, let him be cursed. There is no other gospel. This is the gospel. This is what saves. This is what delivers. This is what gives freedom. This is what sets free. Only this. And Paul is astonished that anybody would turn from that to go back to rules, like working to save yourself or, eh, do whatever you want. Are you serious, he says? Don't buy for it. Don't fall for it. Follow Jesus. Have a relationship with Jesus. That is the pathway to real freedom. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, thanks so much for Paul's writings under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in this book of Galatians. And Lord, we live in a world of pluralism where people say all these roads will eventually find their way to God. But Paul is coming against all of that saying, no, 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 there's only one way to the Father and that is through Jesus Christ. And that's not a popular thing to say in our world, but Lord, this is the word of God and we hold it above all opinions or other, all of thoughts of mankind or whatever the popular sway of culture is. We say we will follow you above all over the things. And we choose to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets men free, that doesn't weigh people down with rules and obligations and, and stuff, but doesn't also want, but wants the best for us so that we don't just run willy-nilly through life, but that we're disciplined and that we're, we're ordered and we're headed for, for, for the best version of ourselves. And I just pray your blessings over us. I pray that this word would fall on good soil today, that we'd follow and choose you. In Jesus' name, amen.